0: Would you join me in uh, Romans chapter number 7 today? Romans chapter number 7. As I've been doing throughout this entire study of the book of Romans, one chapter a week, so far we've made it. Today I'm going to do it, or attempt to do it again, chapter 7. And I'm going to start reading to you from the very first verse, and work my way to the very last verse of this chapter. Our focus primarily today is on verse number 6. So when we get there, um, there will be great emphasis given to that verse in our study. It says in Romans 7, Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound to her husband or by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning her husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is freed from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Therefore, did that, therefore did that which is good, become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by effecting my death through that which is good. So that through the commandment sin would become utterly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, and I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I do not practice what I would like to do, but I I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the willingness is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one, who, one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man You ever say, verse number 24, yourself, wretched man that I am, this is a chapter that uh, speaks of frustration, and we're going to discuss it here this morning, so let's ask for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, we come before you today so thankful that you know us and understand us, and so thankful that you haven't kept us uh, in the dark about these very things we wrestle with. You have explained it in your word and it's before us today. And we need your help to understand. May your spirit have uh, full reign in our lives and may we be submissive to your work that we might be made different from our understanding today, that we might be drawn closer to you, that we would trust you more, that we would commit ourselves more to what you have called us to be. Help us with our study here today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in Romans chapter number 7, I said the emphasis is on verse 6. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit, not in oldness of the letter. This section we're in, Romans 6, 7, and 8, they're the um, the side of our study that affects us as believers in Christ, especially these three ver- or these three chapters, deals with sin. And we would have really liked, for the moment we came to know Christ as Savior, for sin to have never been a problem again. But that's not reality. Matter of fact, Scripture knows that God makes it very clear. That these things are still things we contend with, and as Paul was writing this book to the book of Rome, to the church in Rome, um, he gives to us very helpful chapters in understanding the believer's walk. In chapter number 6, we dealt with last week, a theological perspective we needed. We are united with Christ. We are united with Christ. That, that's not a question mark. A believer in Christ is united with Christ. And because we're united with Christ, we should not continue to sin. That's not our playground any longer. That's not where we belong because we're united with Christ. In chapter 7 here today, we also have the newness of the Spirit, as it said at the end of verse number 6 here. We have the newness of the Spirit. So we don't have to continue to sin. Now, it's kind of interesting. I said it that way, didn't I? We don't have to. What do we do, though? We continue to sin. But we're going to see what the Lord has to tell us about this today. And then next week, we're going to talk about the fact that we can live godly lives because God dwells in us. Very important chapters before us here today. But today, we're going to deal primarily with the frustration of sin the frustration of sin I was having a little fun this morning every now and then somebody would ask how my day was going and uh, yesterday in the last couple of weeks I told him I'm a little stiff a little sore today but well, I had to push mow the lawn quite a bit yesterday because it's my mower again I brought this up several times this past uh, summer this uh, lawn mower has had its uh, issues and I thought I had them all fixed until yesterday when it took off. Paul was driving it this time, so I could see what it was doing. It had cut a trench in the yard, a horrible-looking scar uh, in the grass. Now, I call it a scar because if, if you treat a lawn like a piece of art, all right, As some people like to do it that way, a scar in it is like taking a magic marker to the Mona Lisa, all right? And so my lawn just has this... just torn right through it. And it's not as bad as that. matter of fact, it's going to get through all that. It'll grow back. But for the moment, it just seemed like incredible that it should do that. I found out that that lawnmower's not saved. (laughs) It can't be. And treat people like that, it just can't be. Now, on the one hand, you could say that and say, okay, we can have fun with that. But on this hand... (laughs) I have another scar, and it's just a, a, about uh, a little more than a half an inch long. I've had it most of my life. I remember as a little kid, uh, my younger brother and I, we had one baseball hat that we both wanted, and uh, I happened to have been holding it the time that he wanted it, and they were the hats with the little bitty, uh, I don't know what they call that, little button on the top that they they put on the top and and if you've ever taken one of those apart you realize they're held on by little metal clasps and one of those had gotten a little bit loose there and that's where I was holding the day he tore it out of my hand and cut right through the side of my my hand here and it was bleeding pretty well and I tried to hide that as best I could and such like that but uh, no matter what uh, the situation turned out that we were both in trouble for fighting over a hat And so I I remember those days that uh, um, I've got a reminder. The hat is gone. (laughs) My brother and I have grown up, and I don't think we'd still fight over a hat. But the scar on my left hand is still there. Always serving a reminder to me of a day so many years ago. Now, we could talk about scars that go away. Holes in the lawn that go away. Scars on the hand that don't go away. We could talk about scars left behind because of sin. And I don't know if any of us has ever gotten away without any scars from things that uh, we recall, things we shouldn't have done, but nevertheless they've happened. We've all probably understood the frustration of sin over the course of our lives, as believers, we especially do. Unfortunately, sin is a reality. It's not make belief I'd like to tuck it under the rug like anybody else would, but Scripture speaks so clearly about it. It doesn't conceal from us the reality of sin. And we would say, well, it goes to state it in black and white. Actually, it goes and states it in color. It is very vivid In its pages concerning sin. Now, when we're studying through the book of Romans, we pointed out some some fundamental truths that we must hang on to. First of all, salvation is never accomplished by anything but the power of God. We found that in Romans chapter 1. We found in Romans chapter 2 that salvation cannot be bargained for. In chapter 3, the depth of my sin makes it impossible for me to earn my salvation. In chapter 4, I must have faith. And faith first and faith only. In what Christ has done for me. That's the only way it's credited as righteousness. We found in chapter 5, salvation is a gift from God. And now when we move into chapter 6 and beyond, we're starting to deal with this salvation God has given to us. We're on this side of the cross and understanding that if I am saved by Jesus Christ, how am I then to live? How do I live? Can I go back to living a sinful life like I had before Christ? No. Paul will ask that question many times as you can see as he's Putting this together in chapter 6 and even in chapter number 7. Are we to keep on sinning? Are we to keep on sinning? After all, it was the sinning issue that showed us the grace of God. And we love the grace of God, don't we? So shall I sin so I can see more grace? No. No. Why not? Well, as we saw last week, we have died with Christ. We believe we shall also live with Him. That's our position. As a believer, we're united with Him so much so that His death is our death. He died for our sins, so we have died to sin. When He was buried, we were buried. When He rose again, we rose again. Sometimes we find that a little difficult to understand. But here's a picture of it. Our union with Christ is so complete that our life literally becomes His. Do you realize that? Your life is His. So that means, in reality, the committing of sin is even more an issue to a believer than to an unbeliever. It ought to be. It's simply not right for us to have been set free from sin, and then go back into it. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 makes the whole statement so clear. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. you know that? Christ lives in me. And he said, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's a key verse to understand as a believer. We know the wages of sin is death, but we also know the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have been set free. So it's not for us to return to the cemetery of sin. Theologically, that makes sense. I hope you can understand that. Theologically, that's the way it ought to be. Practically, here we are. We're in that frustration section. Matter of fact, the last ten verses I read are are some that some people know awfully well. How can I, who know Christ, who belong to Christ, who live for Christ, how can I be doing the things I don't want to do? And why is it that I'm not doing the things I want to do? I want to live a life glorifying to God. Would you agree with that? Yes. You find that hard sometimes? This is his frustration in these last handful of verses. And some people say, well, I can't believe the Apostle Paul wrote this section. Where he even got to say, wretched man that I am. But nevertheless, it's true. This is part of the the understanding practically of where we are. Matter of fact, I I think it's this way. The more we get to know Christ, the more heinous sin becomes to us. We see it more clearly. We understand it and the cost of it to the place where we can't help but burst out. Wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. What is a wretched man? Let's define that word so we can put it in our, our picture here. The, the Greek word for wretched has to do with a miserable man. Miserable man. He, he's been under a trial for so long, he's distressed by it. it's a a difficult burden to carry. matter of fact, there's a couple of words woven into the concept of not only he's been carrying this burden for a long time, but it's been wearing on him, wearing on him, wearing on him, and he's got calluses to show it. That kind of a burden he has carried for such a long time. He's miserable because it won't go away. He wants it to go away, but it, it, it just stays there. On and on. And I found this very interesting because as I broke the word down even further, down to its very root words that are put together here, the cause of the burden and the misery and even the callous is the fact that something is in there that's piercing. The word, there's a word for pierce inside the word, which is generally the problem, isn't it? Something is pierced. Something has cut. Now, when I think this word through, he's not slain. The way he describes this, I'm not a slain man. Matter of fact, that would be a relief if I were. But he's not slain. He he's not free from the pain. He's not even free from the knowledge of the of the event that caused it. He's been stabbed. And he's alert. He knows the pain. He sees the hole. He's a wretched man as if he's dangling off the end of a knife. And there's nothing he could do. Would you call that miserable? That's the picture of the word. He's miserable. The agony of sin in the life of the believer. uh, The pain of the conscience being pierced through. That's the description of this word. This is uh, added to another picture where he says here in the same passage, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body, this body of death? Here's a picture. I'm just going to actually read it to you right out of uh, John MacArthur's commentary on this. He says, It is reported that near Tarshish, where Paul was born, A certain ancient tribe sentenced convicted murderers to an especially gruesome execution. The corpse of the slain person was lashed tightly to the body of the murderer and remained there until the murderer himself died. In a few days, which doubtless seemed to be an eternity to the convicted man, the decay of the person he had slain infected and killed him. Using such a picture as the nature of sin that is lashed tightly to us, we get quite a picture of the frustration that Paul led Paul to to proclaim, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Would you say that's miserable? Incredible scene, huh? We're just using some pictures here to try to grasp what we're dealing with. But verse number six is our focus, our attention today. Look at the same words here. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, tied, strapped, so that we might serve in newness of the Spirit and not to the oldness of the letter. This is the fact that the death of Jesus, on our behalf,
1: has provided for
0: us in dealing with the frustration of sin. What has He done? What has He given to us? What is this frustration that we're looking at? Those verses, 14 through verse 24. Several times Paul uses words like in verse 14, bondage to sin. Verse 23, prisoner of the law of sin. Verse 25, serving the law of God and serving the law of sin. He uses such words for bondage as that. But understand this, their their concept of bondage was a legal term. It was a legal term. And that's why you may say, well, what did that have to do with the first handful of verses here? In 1, 2, and 3, he talked about marriage. Remember when I read it? You say, huh, I wonder what that had to do with the paragraph. Well, here's the simple picture. A married couple, as you know in our vows, say until death we do part. Well, Paul says that's exactly what the law required. That's what the law said. Until death, we do part. And then at any point, while one of them is still alive, or while both of them are still alive, if one of them goes and joins to another person, they've broken the law. That's what it stated. They broke the law. They're guilty, as he even said in verse number three, of that word adultery. So the law remained intact as long as a couple remained alive. Now, does that mean the law was bad? No. The law is good. The law is good. It's meant to keep us from doing whatever we want to do. You know, we live in a world that wants to do whatever it wants to do. You may not like the speed limit laws. Some people don't. They are meant to keep us safe on the roads, aren't they? Not to keep you from appointments or something like that. But why do we have those to keep us safe, primarily? Now, some people would argue that maybe the signs need to go down. That way we don't feel guilty about breaking the law. Would that solve the problem? No signs? No problem. That's a description of the mentality of our country. Take down the signs. Take down the laws. It's a simple way that if these are removed, then we can live as we please. That's That's not the answer. Matter of fact, God says righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a disgrace to any people. Any nation that goes about removing the laws so that anyone can live however they want, they are removing what God has said is good. When you take away what God has said is good, you don't replace it with something else that's good. You never will. Because remo- removing the law doesn't make us better. What Paul says in verse number 6 is that, but now we have been released from the law. And you say, oh, there it is. We don't have to obey it. That's not what he says. Verse number 12. First, let's look there. The law is what? Let's start with one word at a time. The law is what? Holy. Holy. The law is holy. Well, what does that mean? Well, God is holy, isn't he? Yeah, he's holy. His character is holy. He's entirely free from sin. In every single way. Entirely pure in his actions. Entirely pure in his thoughts. Entirely pure in his motives. His intentions. Everything. God is perfect. We would say that of him. The law was his invention. God created the law. It's in his word. It's his commandment. And if he is holy and all of his works are holy, and the law is his work, guess what? The law is holy. It's a guide to holiness. It's what a holy God expects of us. Verse number 12, the law is also what? Bottom. Righteous. You see the word? The law is righteous because it is right. It is right. It doesn't show partiality. It does not benefit one person over another. It is just. It is sound. God did not leave us confused as how we ought to live. He said what was right. Verse number 12. What's the last thing it says the law is? Good. The law is good. We consider something good if it helps us. We consider it bad if it doesn't help us. The law is good. It benefits us. It helps us. Now... Don't confuse the law with the consequence of breaking the law. Alright? There are consequences for breaking the law, just like there's consequences on one's hand when the hat gets ripped out of it. The law is holy. The law is right. The law is good. And those who obey it benefit from following the law. But the law does not become unholy. The law does not become wrong or bad if we disobey. Those are the consequences that we reap from that. Changing the law isn't the answer. We have become the unholy ones. We have become wrong and bad. We don't want to put that blame on the law because the law is good and holy and right. So Paul seeks to correct us here in this passage. The law is our teacher, he said in verse number 7. The law is our teacher. I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. It taught me what sin was.
1: The law is my
0: revealer. Verse number 9, it says this as well. It says, I was once apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. I didn't know what sin was until God said this is sin. And when he revealed that to me, I, I wouldn't have known I was a sinner. And if I had never known I was a sinner, I would have never known I needed a Savior. This law has been very good to me. It's been bringing me to my Lord. Because it showed me that I'm a needy person. It's not the law that's to blame. Sin against the law is to blame for our frustration. So what can I do? If I'm not able to obey the law perfectly, I sin. I am held guilty for that sin. What am I to do? Verse 14, here are the facts. For we know that the law is spiritual. He says that. And we are men of flesh. Do you realize that men of flesh cannot produce spiritual things? It's impossible. The flesh cannot produce spiritual things. Only God produces spiritual things. So if we try and we claw and we make great efforts on our own to make up for our sinful flesh, we will be miserable. Wretched. We will be. Paul's own words here. Verse eighteen. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for the willingness present in me, but the doing of it of of the good is not. Here's the wretched man. He's trying to span the distance between the sinful place he is and the holy God he seeks to be with. He's trying to span that spot on his own. Can't do it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, what man could not do, God did. God did. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died. Didn't he? Think this through. This is so important that we understand this. Did we break the law? Yes. Did Jesus die according to the law? Yes. He died taking our sins. What did the requirement call for? The wages of sin is death. He did that, didn't he? So his death was according to the law. The penalty inflicted by the law on the wrongdoer was only satisfied in death. And Jesus did that. So if I'm united with him and he died and I died in his death, what has become of the demands of the law toward me? What has happened? Colossians, hold your place here. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. If you haven't memorized any verses for a couple of weeks, here's a good place to go. Colossians two twelve through 14. Watch these words. Paul is saying again, here's our, our union with Christ. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead, when you were dead in your transgressions and uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out all the certificates of debt consisting of decrees against us, which were hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He took it. You've been released from the law. Not to be lawless, folks. Not to be lawless, but set free from the debt that we owed. Some of you know too well what a mortgage payment is. You see it every single month. You send in that check. You take care of it. Now, say that you, you reach that wonderful day when you send in the last one, and they send you back a statement that says, Paid in full. Aren't those beautiful words? Paid in full and if you should receive a bill the next month for another mortgage payment, you would say, "Uh uh-uh, you can't do that. It's been paid in full, right? Oh, you would protest, wouldn't you? You'd stand up and you'd say, no, I'm not going to pay an extra payment. Who would? What did that verse just say? What about our debts that we owed? The sins that we had committed, the penalty of it all, where did it go? It went to a cross where Jesus died. Was it paid for? Was it paid in full? Alright, so folks, what are we doing still messing with it? It's done. It's been paid by Christ. Paid in full. Our union with the death of Christ is the penalty of sin is paid. It's paid. Now, I know it doesn't erase the scars. The consequences of our sins. But we do have an understanding here. Jesus paid for those sins. That's what he says here in Romans 6, or 7, verse 6. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound died to something. That's the end of it. Died to something. The picture carries us back to verse 24, where that corpse has been lashed to us. We're bound to it, and yet, thanks be to Jesus Christ. He blurts it out so beautifully. Thanks to Him. United with Him in His death, He has cut off the straps. Okay. If you get that so much, how does that account for my frustration? How is it that I keep on doing the things that I shouldn't do? Let's ask some questions here in verse 6. What are the results? If Christ has done this, and he has, what are the results for us? It's right in the middle of the verse. It starts with the word, So, this is the result. So, what am I to do? What happens to those who have been released from the lost penalty? The corpse of sin that has been bound to them. So, we are to serve in newness of the Spirit. We are to serve in newness of the Spirit. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. Scripture says so. The old things pass away. Behold, all things have become new. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Where do we get those? Oh, they're just naturally in you, right? No, they are not. They're not naturally in me. I'm going to assume that you're something like me. I want to do it. Don't you? I want to live new. I want to, to think new. I want to act new. I want my character to be good. I want it to be faithful. I want it to be patient. I want it to be self-controlled, especially with my lawnmower. But, these are the results of the Spirit in me. They are the results of the Spirit. This is what He's given to us. Next week we're going to be real heavy on this. But these are the new things we have in Christ Jesus. We don't have to live by the flesh. That's what he's trying to show us here. We don't have to pay the penalty of the law. We can serve God in a way that pleases him and it refreshes our own souls because of the spirit that lives within us. You're the newness of the spirit so we can we can bear fruit for God. There's so much to this. But let me put it down this way because our time is so short. We can be thankful, can't we, that the penalty's been paid? absolutely he died for us we can be glad that the burden of that sin corpse has been dealt with Jesus someday when we get to heaven (laughs) what a day that's going to be when we're free from all these things when we stand before him we will see what he's been designing all along what it will be like to stand there without ever another reference to the nature of sin. To the power of sin. To the, to the deception of sin. What a beautiful day that will be. But here's the good part, folks. Here's the good part. That Paul wants you to understand in this passage. He's not saying, let's wait until we get there. He's saying, we live in the Spirit Now. We have newness of life when? Now. This is not waiting for some future hope for, hopeful day. This is now. This is how we are to walk. And this is the, the practical perspective of it all. We have been changed, we've been set free from it. I know it's frustrating, but that's only to drive you closer to your Lord, I'm sure. To have Him remind you of this. To to bring you back to this point. He has paid the price. He has paid the price. He has paid the price. How many times do you need to repeat that throughout this week? He has paid the price. So we can serve Him. In newness of the Spirit. These things are crucial for us to understand. Next week I just can't wait. I should just start on it now. But I have to wait. Chapter 8. I love... Chapter 8. Wait till you see it. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that even though these things sometimes get so complicated in our minds, we, we try to wrap ourselves around principles that are, are huge. We compare ourselves in the daily activities of our life to these things. We, we see the the world around us, we see the pressures, we see the temptations, we see the influences, we see uh, the drive of our land and of our, our, our nation. Lord, we, there's so much to be frustrated over. And yet, when it comes to the issue of sin, we have this. Jesus Christ has died for us. Our sins have been forgiven. And we rejoice today. Lord, we need this perspective. We need it driven into us. We need it set on our hearts so that we're not forgetful people. Sin has been dealt with as a cross. The decrees, the debt has been paid in full. Help us to walk in the newness of the Spirit. Help us to serve in the newness of the Spirit. Help us to realize we can serve God with our hearts and with our lives because of what He has done. Change our perspective, Lord. Too often it's set on ourselves. Help us to look higher and see where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of the Father. Set our focus on things above so we may walk as we have been made to walk. According to your principles, according to your way, there we will find the joy. There we will find our life. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. Work in our hearts and help us to realize these things in a practical way. In Jesus' name, amen.